Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, I'm feeling a little bit guilty. Honda, who's producing this show today and always. I went out to dinner last night with some people um, who I hope become very good friends of mine moving forward, but I really didn't know them very well. And I find out after the fact that it was one of the guy's birthdays. I mean, th- th- he did not mention that it was his birthday. And he was spending his birthday, you know, having dinner with me. And just I found that out after the fact. And so I've been feeling guilty because I, I would have bought him a beer or something like that. But actually, it was a smart move because I feel guilty knowing that it wasn't his birthday. So now we're going to have to go out to dinner again, probably to an even nicer place. And I'm going to pick up the tab. So happy birthday, John. Sorry I didn't know that. Sometimes you just have to share. We start today's program like we start every program. Three big things, things that I think are incredibly talkable that you should know about to discuss at the water cooler or at the coffee closet or at lunch. I understand. Big thing number one, when it comes to Donald Trump, is anything off limits? I understand that there is a segment of the population that cannot stand Donald Trump personally and politically. I understand that there are people, there's no honeymoon going on here. I understand that there are people, some people of goodwill, some people who are nothing but anarchists out there trying to do everything they can to undermine this president. I understand it's going to be interesting times. I understand that Donald Trump has been subject of all sorts of parodies and vicious sort of things. And and it kind of comes with the territory when you are the elected official. There, however, has been a general understanding that when it comes to children of political figures, those children are typically off limits when when they're children. I mean, it's one thing, for example, if Chelsea Clinton decides that she's going to go out and do campaign events when she's in her 30s for her for her mom, well, okay, then, then in some respects I think she's kind of fair game. But for, for kids— For kids, I think it's a different sort of standard that's out there. Now, I think whatever you feel about the Obamas, whether you agree with them or not, I think you have to say, I I think they did a really good job raising those girls in in a a very difficult fishbowl type of environment. I think they were very, very good parents. Whatever you think about George, uh, you know, George and Laura Bush, I think, you know, they did a very, very good job of raising, you know, their their daughters in, in that kind of fishbowl. And I understand from time to time there's always been a, a commentator on either the left or the right that sort of goes off the reservation, goes rogue, and decides to pick on the kids. And then uh, appropriately is is, you know, criticized. So I understand it's happened before. Well, it does appear, though, when it comes to Donald Trump, it's sort of anything goes. Uh, Donald Trump, his 10-year-old son is named Baron Trump, and you, you know, you, you will, you'll see him at, at different events. You know, he didn't play a role, obviously, he's 10 years old, you know, he didn't play the role in the campaign that some of the older, you know, children did. But, you know, he, he shows up, he, he's up on, he's up on stage, and, you know, you, you see him. The kid is 10 years old. Well, what happened on Friday is there is this woman. Her name is Katie Rich. She is a Chicago native. She was uh, a comedic performer at Second City, and she's been a writer for Saturday Night Live for the last several years. She specializes, I guess, in doing the weekend update things, and she's still listed as a writer on the SNL website. On Friday... She decides to take to Twitter to talk about Baron Trump. The, again, this is the the 10-year-old. So here's what she tweets out about the 10-year-old kid. This is the after the inauguration. She writes, Baron will be this country's first homeschool shooter. Baron will be this country's first homeschool shooter. That's what she sends out to her Twitter followers. Ha, ha, ha. Boy, here you have, you know, okay, this, this is the kid going to be a homeschool shooter. Well, all right, this goes over sort of like you might expect, not particularly well. Um, subsequently, she takes down the tweet after there's well, a bit of an uproar, and then she posts something else on there, essentially saying, gee, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I sincerely apologize for the insensitive tweet. I deeply regret my actions and offensive words. It was inexcusable, and I'm so sorry. Um, her, she did not receive writing credits for Saturday Night Live last week. NBC 
has declined to say whether she's going to be disciplined, whether she's going to be fired, whether there's going to be any sort of consequences at all for this. Let's open up the phone lines. Big story number one, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right. Have the standards changed with Donald Trump? Because Donald Trump provokes the media, because you've got all the Hollywood left that's so up in arms about him, um, are his children fair game? Should there be any consequences for this Saturday Night Live writer who decided to send off this tweet? Was she out of line? Should she be disciplined by Saturday Night Live? Or is it just kind of all is forgiven? What the, should the consequences, if any, be? 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. We discuss next. It's 842 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can the Bucks avenge last night's home loss to the Philadelphia 76ers? They're back in town tomorrow for another matchup at the BMO Harris Bradley Center. Our coverage starts with Buck Shots at 640 tomorrow night. All right, right after the inauguration, this woman who's a writer for Saturday Night Live decides to take take to the internet to mock Baron Trump, who's the the ten year old son of Donald Trump, she writes, Baron will be the country's first homeschool shooter. Now, on top of that, this woman named Julie Brown, she's an actress on Modern Family. Um, she sends a t- series of tweets making fun of the way the ten year old looked at his inauguration, uh, at the inauguration, making fun of the ten year old. Okay, is this the new standard? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Marilyn in Brookfield. Marilyn, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Marilyn. Who the president is, the children should be off limits. You know, when the Bush kids were drinking or this kid was, you know, all these kids did not ask for these lives to be thrust into the spotlight. Clearly Donald Trump loves it and thrives on it. The child is 10. I mean, you know, he looked tired. On on a lot of those things, he was tired. He was bored. He was tired of wearing a suit. He was a 10-year-old boy. (laughs) Leave him alone. Yeah, and I guess I I just, it just, what goes through these people's minds? Now, I understand this has happened on both the right and left. Most famously, years and years ago, Rush Limbaugh decided to, you know, make make fun of the way Chelsea Clinton looked. and, And he was appropriately, in my opinion, criticized for it because... They're kids, for God's sakes. Mm-hmm. You know? But I, it, it is, you're right, the, the, the children. But I, I guess one of things I'm concerned about, Marilyn, is this idea that you have, it's now anything goes. We hate Donald Trump, so we can say anything we want about him. We hate, you know, his wife. Now we can rip on the kids as well. And, and I think there's some people who are going to be going, oh, that, that's great. You know, what's, why are we so upset about this? Well, it's like it's like going after the wives, you know, the, the the first ladies who, again, you know, yes, they've they've lived this life, but these children, you know, the the children, yes, he's come up in a certain amount of affluence, and his dad has always had a lot of attention, and right. but they still they don't they can't compre- a ten year old boy right. cannot comprehend the ramifications of all this attention, positive or negative. Right, exactly. No, thanks, and that's see, and that's the sort of thing. But this is what's going on out there that you have. Some people who decide that, all right, because it is Donald Trump, anything goes. So big story number one, the Hollywood left goes after Baron Trump. And the question is, are there going to be consequences? Like I say, right now, Saturday Night Live is completely and totally silent about this whole thing. Um, her name were not was not on the writing credits for last week, but you know who knows why that that is. They're they're not saying anything. But I have to tell you again, I I understand if if you want to rip on Donald Trump, that that's fine. If you want to make fun of you know the the. You know the blowover haircut. That that's fine. If you want to make fun of the choice of ties, yeah, that that that's fine. That's what comes with the territory. But the kids, Sarah in Madison. Sarah, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. I, I I think the kids are supposed to be off limits. I just find it amazing that uh, California and Hollywood's the do as I say, not as I do. Because yeah. aren't these the same celebrities that don't want you photographing their kids going to school? Right. And don't photograph my kids when we're going on through the airport. Right. But they have no problem picking on the president's kid. He's 10 years old. Leave him alone. <laughs> right. Or this, okay, this, we hate Donald Trump because he's a bully. Look at all the things he does. He's a bully about this. He's a bully about that. So we're going to mock his 10 year old son and suggest, oh, this kid's going to be like a homeschool terrorist. Really? I mean, the, the double standard, the hypocrisy is just staggering. 
Exactly. They, their answer to a bully is to be a bully themselves. To a 10-year-old. <laughs> Get it? Yeah. Like, like I say, if, if you want to write hateful things about Donald Trump, well, okay, if that makes you happy, go, go do that. You know, he's the one that ran for president, and politics isn't beanbag, but it's the 10-year-old kid. Thanks for the call. Steve in Oshkosh. Steve, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Uh, uh that caller and you stole quite a bit of my thunder. Okay. I was just going to say that it's the same bleeding heart liberals who are pounding their chest in the pulpit talking about how bad bullying is. Right. But yet these hypocrites are the kings of bullying as far as I'm concerned. Right. Where is Meryl Streep, who just got nominated for an Oscar, you know, who gives this impassioned speech at the Golden Globes talking about how appalling it was for Donald Trump to mock the New York Times reporter you know, who had the disability, how, how appalling and how awful that was and how terrible it was. You know, where is Meryl Streep? You know, Meryl Streep is probably sitting around laughing and chuckling when these people are, uh, again, mocking the demeanor of the kid or suggesting that he's going to be a homeschool shooter. The hypocrisy of the Hollywood left, staggering. Well, frankly, I hope her and probably 15 or 20 others are on a plane, you know, <laughs> taking up residences uh, outside of the United States. <laughs> That's right. You, you said you were going to move to Canada. Well, fine. Thanks for the call. Again, just big story number one, hypocrisy alert. Apparently, when it comes to going after children, it's okay if it's the children of Donald Trump. And by the way, I acknowledge that this has happened in limited occasions on the past, most notably, again, the Rush Limbaugh situation years and years ago. It was wrong then. It's wrong now. Big thing number two coming up, Fox Valley schools closing down. Stick around. 852. Eight fifty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Big story number two. Our area, every spring, it seems to me that every spring our area schools close down on a regular basis because as the weather gets nicer, you have some disaffected kids who decide that they, they, they want Friday off or they want Monday off or they don't want to have to be in for tests or they just think it would be cool to be disruptive. So it seems to me every spring we have a rash of threats that are called in, bomb threats that get called in, threats that are scribbled in the boys' bathroom, threats that are scribbled on the walls of the girls' bathroom. And I appreciate that the schools the schools are between a rock and a hard place when it comes to this because the schools – On the one hand, you know in your heart and in your head, you know that these are not valid threats. You know what this is. This is the 16-year-old who's unhappy, who's upset, who's just crying for attention, who thinks it's going to be fun, whatever, who is doing this. You know that because when you think about the school for example, violence that's occurred, you think about the school shootings that have occurred, it's never preceded by a threat. It's, it's not. It's always just it comes kind of out of the clear blue. So you know that there's nothing behind these various threats. But at the same time, you, of course, have to take these all seriously, because the reality is if, if you have a bomb threat, somebody says the school is going to blow up tomorrow and you don't react as if the school is going to blow up tomorrow. And if something does, in fact, happen, you could never live with yourself. On top of that. The way parents react nowadays, and by the way, I'm not criticizing you if you're a parent, the way parents react is when there is a threat that is called in, even if the school says we're going to put up all this security, and even if law enforcement says we don't think there's anything valid, generally speaking, about half the parents keep their kids home anyways, because, again, the parents are saying, my children are the most my most precious thing I have. I realize in my head that there's nothing to this, but what if I let them go to school and something happened? And I, so I, I could never live with myself, so they make the decision that they're going to leave the kids home, even after the school officials say there's nothing to this. So you don't get anything done one way or the other, because if only 50% of the kids are in school, that the teachers can't teach their classes anyways, and everything's disruptive. So this is a very, very big deal, which is one of the reasons that I have always said that when you catch the people who do this, you have to treat it extremely seriously. Well, the wave of threats has, it's actually coming several months earlier in the Fox River Valley. Um, there was apparently, this is from the Appleton Post-Gazette, um, January 5th, bomb threat phoned into a middle school in Nina. Um, school officials weren't convinced that, it, of course, it was legitimate, but but they, they couldn't 
treat it as anything other than a legitimate threat. Students were evacuated, taken to an elementary school across the street, full search of the building. Students then reentered the building. But this is only one of a series of incidents in the Fox River Valley involving threats to schools. And these threats have prompted closings, cancellations, and this general uneasiness about the school. You know, it's amazing if you go back and look at this. Um, You had St. Mary Catholic Schools received a threat. Um, In Iola, you had a a threat that was made. Oshkosh, you had a threat that was made. Um, Fond du Lac, you had a threat that was made. It's going on and on and on. None of the threats have escalated into violence or injuries, but again, there, there are the consequences for this, and this appears to be the ongoing trend. And again, you have threats. Here's the bottom line of this. School officials have to take this seriously. There's no question about it. But at the same time, I continue to believe that once the matter is investigated and once the school officials say it's safe to go back, once the cops say it's safe to go back, I think parents need to send the kids to school. If the cops are saying it's okay and the school officials are saying it's okay, you can't allow like some disaffected teenager who thinks it's clever, who makes one of these threats to stop the entire educational process. This is going to happen in the springtime around here, but it's happening in the Fox River Valley right now. And and you just you can't let you can't let the punks win. So big story number two, Fox River Valley being subject to a rash of threats that are closing schools. School officials don't really know what to do. When you catch the people who've done it, you put them in jail. You put them in jail for a long time. I don't care if it's some 16-year-old who says he doesn't understand the consequences. He knows very well what he is doing. Coming up after the news, our third big story of the day, the governor is being asked to sack David Clark. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start out every day with what I call three big things, stories that I think you need to know about so you can discuss them at work or at lunch. Story number three, David Clark continues to make news. David Clark is, of course, the sheriff in Milwaukee County. He is somebody that I have supported over the years, and I I think... You know, uh, Sheriff Clark would tell you that there have been occasions he probably would not have been certainly reelected in the last election, maybe before that, without the support from talk radio listeners. Uh, He runs as a Democrat in Milwaukee County because it is very difficult for, if not impossible, for Republicans to win running as Republicans in Milwaukee County. Scott Walker, of course, was elected county executive a couple times, but Walker, even though he was a conservative Republican, he was not running in the partisan elections that occur in the fall. He was running in nonpartisan elections in the spring. So Walker is, of course, the exception. But it's been a long time since somebody... I can't remember the last time that somebody actually running as a Republican won in Milwaukee County. It just does not happen. So David Clark, being politically astute, he runs as a Democrat, even though he clearly um, views himself as a Republican. No question about that. And a very, very vocal supporter of Donald Trump. But during, for example, his last reelection campaign, there was nothing for Republicans. And there's a lot of us Republicans who live in Milwaukee County. It's just we're outnumbered by the Democrats. So there are a lot of Republicans in Milwaukee County, and there was little or nothing going on on the primary ballot back in 2014. There really wasn't a reason for a Republican to come out and vote in the Republican primary because I don't think there were any contested races. So a, a number of us, myself included, you know, encouraged people to go out and to vote for for David Clark. If you're a Republican, vote in the Democratic primary, cross over, because it's perfectly fine, vote in the Democratic primary, vote for David Clark. And he ended up winning by about 4,000 votes. And I, I believe, and I think that the sheriff acknowledged at the time, that it was it was that Republican crossover vote that, that put him over the top and, and helped him, him win. So I, I've been a fan of David Clark for years. Um, I am not one of these people that minds the fact that over the last year or so, he's decided to carve himself out a a role as a national political figure. I don't care if he wants to go on Fox News and talk about his support for Donald Trump. To me, okay, that's that's just what political figures do. It's really no different than, for example, Tom Barrett has done over the years in his support for Hillary Clinton. It's just that David Clark has a much more public profile when he comes to doing it, and you know, says things. He is a very, he is very, very controversial, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with being controversial. Well, 
at some point in time, though, you do cross lines. And you know, Clark has been involved in a, a number of high-profile things recently. You know, we've talked about this before. We could go Sunday. He's coming back from Dallas. He's wearing. Um, he's on an airplane. Guy walks by him, uh, sees him, asks if he's David Clark, if he's Sheriff Clark. Clark says yes. The guy's story is he just kind of like shakes his head. I personally, I think there's probably more to it. Don't know, but my guess is the guy said something. But then Clark says, "You got a problem with that?" And the story is that as the man gets off the plane in Milwaukee, there are sheriff's deputies that are waiting there to question him. Well, okay, this is the type of thing. Like I say, the guy now has an attorney, and I'm sure there's going to be a claim filed against the county as to whether or not there was an illegal detention or something like that. And and again, I I don't care if David Clark wants to go and talk about things that he cares about. On, but if he's going to start doing stuff that might, I don't know, get the county sued and mean us taxpayers might have to pay stuff, that's where I, I start to, to care. In addition, um, David Clark was at the inauguration, and he was at some of the balls. And I, without going into too many details, he ends up sending out um, a, a series of, of tweets and, and postings where he is mocking some of the protesters um, who are who are out there. And I, I think, you know, I've looked at the tweets, and you can argue that a couple of them might have been in somewhat bad taste, but still, I mean, that's his right to, that's his right to do it. But David Clark, very, very confrontational, very, very in-your-face, and there, there's no change about that. Well, anyhow, the story for today is that there are four Democrats from Milwaukee County, State Representative David Crowley, um, State Senator Chris Larson, and Representatives Jonathan Brostoff and good old Christine Sinicki, who are calling on Scott Walker to remove David Clark from office. Now, you, you might say, well, you know, why, why would you, you know, why would you, would you do this? And, um, you know, the argument is essentially that, you know, he has, he's been an embarrassment that you've got these issues with jail deaths and things like that, that now you have the latest incident, you got the thing with the airplanes, you've got all this stuff. So the argument is that um, Clark should be removed. There is an obscure state statute which gives the governor the power to remove county sheriffs, and the the requirement is it be for cause. Now, typically, when you hear for cause— you don't think about, gee, I disagree with something the person's done or they, they've done something that's controversial. When typically you hear about for cause, you think, well, um, criminal activity. You know, it's the statute I think really exists as a way to take somebody who's been charged with a crime or who's been convicted of a crime but is refusing to leave office. It gives the governor a way to force that person out. But in this case, the cause is, gee, you know, David Clark, we don't like the way he's doing his job. We don't like some of the controversial things he's doing. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, for his part, Governor Walker says, I, I'm, I'm not getting involved in in this. If you want to deal with, with Sheriff Clark— well, okay, that that's fine. You know, you can look at doing recalls or something like that. But ultimately, it, it's up to the people of Milwaukee County, and you know they, they can decide. So, state representatives, if you want to start a recall effort against Clark, you know, fine, go go ahead and, and do that. But I'm not going to get involved. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. All right, this effort to have Clark removed should the governor take it seriously. Or are these politicians just pandering, trying to get another five minutes of fame um, in the local media? 414-799-1620 is the number. What do you think? Should Clark be removed? Are these politicians out of line in suggesting it? Or are they on to something? We discuss next. 915, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So a liberal state representative sends a letter to 
Uh, Governor Walker saying, I call on you to remove Sheriff Clark for his willful neglect of duties, repeated inappropriate and incendiary comments, his promotions of violence, and his use of intimidations against innocent civilians. There is a provision of state law that says the governor has the authority to remove a district attorney, a sheriff, a coroner, or a register of deeds for cause which means an official might be removed for inefficiency, neglect of duty, official misconduct, or malfeasance in office. Typically, that is interpreted to be a a public official who commits a crime or has been charged with a crime um, but refuses to leave. So you can use that statute. It is almost never done. Um, Should should Governor Walker consider doing this here? 414-799-1620 is a number. Let's start with Jeff in New Berlin. Jeff, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, is this just political pandering, or is this something that Governor Walker should take seriously? Um, uh, Governor Walker should not take it seriously. Um, my, I have two points. The first one is uh, regarding the gentleman on the flight. With the advent of all the protesters, mm-hmm. um, the uh, the threats to the protesters and what was going on, you, there's just tons of video online that you can see with um, Project Veritas, who also brought up, um, video of mm-hmm. what they were trying to do in D.C. and with the advent of the Orlando shooter that legally had a gun on a flight. So if anybody identifies a political figure, especially one, especially like uh, Sheriff Clark, he, I feel, has a right mm-hmm. to be able to be overly cautious, especially on a flight. Somebody points him out, identifies him, and even if it's something slight, it's his job to be overly cautious. Yeah, but at the same cautious. time, nothing happened. I, again, I, I don't, I don't want to, uh, I mean, obviously the facts will sort out. At the same time, nothing happened on the flight. The guy got jacked up afterwards after he had landed. So I, I don't know that there was a clear and present threat. But but regardless, I'm, the, the facts will determine that. But I understand what you're saying. What's your second right. point? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the second point is Chris Abley, is, everybody knows that he put a, a ton of his own money. Yes, into uh, trying to, to beat Clark. Sure. Yeah, to try to beat Clark. So does he have an agenda? Of course he has an agenda. His agenda is not to have Sheriff Clark there because he put up, I think it was about $200,000 of his own money, right. if I recall. So if, if somebody who's that adamant to not have him in there, of course he has an agenda to try to figure out a way to get him out. Well, I guess here, I mean, right, see, I guess here's how I, here's how I look at this. If, I, I don't think this statute is appropriate. I, I mean, I understand that David Clark is controversial. And, and my comment would be, to the people that are trying to get him out, first of all, you know, you've got an election coming up in now less than two years. You know, recruit a candidate to run against him. If you think that the people of Milwaukee County are as appalled by David Clark's uh, comments and involvement with Donald Trump and actions as you apparently are, and this is my comment to the state representatives and old Chris Larson, I mean, my, my comment would be organize a recall. Lord knows you folks know how to do recalls. Lord knows we've had that before. If you think for whatever reason that David Clark has lost the support of Milwaukee County, if you think he needs to go, well, you, you can do that. That That's it. Put together the effort. Get the grassroots effort going. You know, get the petitions. Get the signatures. Now, I'm not encouraging them to do this, but rather than just say, okay, to the governor, we want you to use this statute, and, and we want you to say there's cause. In my opinion, there's no cause. Scott Walker is exactly right. He said, look, the people have elected David Clark. If you don't like what a politician is doing, we have these recall provisions. Okay, organize, get the signatures, do it. If you think that Clark is so unpopular, do it. But I do think that it's interesting that nobody appears willing to take on David Clark, and that tells me that you've got a lot of these politicians, while they might make you know, going after David Clark, something that's popular that gets them on TV because, okay, Clark is newsworthy, so it gets the Journal Sentinel to write about it. But if you've really got the guts to think that David Clark is unpopular or out of touch or people are as appalled by, you know, what you identify as his, you know, misconduct as you, know, you are, organize a recall and see where it goes. Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on 620 WTMJ. Well, I don't think that David Clark has met the standard yet for the government to, governor to try to remove him, but he's certainly heading in that direction, and he's close. You know, one of the things, if Clark wasn't the sheriff, if he was a relatively lesser experienced officer, whether patrol officer, detective, mm-hmm. he would not last long in that department. Yeah. Police officers like that are generally rooted out. They engage in this conduct and bullying, and they're cast out. It's interesting for me that even President Trump, who I do not support, did not give David Clark a job 
in his administration. There's yet. a reason for that. Well, yet, yet. He, he didn't give him, except let me not. just stop here. He didn't give him one yet. He didn't give him a cabinet-level position. I still believe... I, I do not believe that David Clark will be standing for re-election in two years. I, I think that there's probably something in Washington for it, but, but not at a cabinet-level position, something that doesn't require Senate confirmation. Maybe I'll be wrong. But you're right. He didn't give him a cabinet-level position. He, he didn't put him in charge of running Homeland Security, for example. You know, Sheriff Clark's a scary individual to have that much authority. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a police officer for 30 years, and I'm retired now. I would cringe to have to work like for a man like that or even have a man like that work in my police department. He's scary. He is unfit for his job. And I'm telling you, people realize it, and hopefully the people in Milwaukee County will put him out in the next election. Well, or, I mean, again, see, but, but again, my, my point is he, he, keeps, he, he, keeps getting, he keeps getting elected. He, he keeps winning. So if there are, there are provisions, and, and to me, that's I say, the Governor Walker handled this completely appropriately. If, if you believe that Sheriff Clark has lost the support of the public, and if you believe that he needs to go right away because he's doing such an awful job or whatever, well, there are mechanisms to do it. But I do think it is interesting that um, you know nobody, right, at least to my knowledge, nobody's circulating recall petitions, nobody's emerging. They don't even, there's not even a viable candidate. Now, I understand there's a lot of time between now and the election. There's not even a serious candidate that is emerging so far to challenge, you know, Clark. Let's talk to Tim in Oshkosh. Tim, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Tim. Uh, I've always liked Sheriff Clark until the last couple months. Um, with this whole thing, I something doesn't sit right with me is this. Uh, if he, if this happened while they were still on the ground in Dallas, oh, you're talking about the airplane bring it up to them yeah. in Dallas and said he waits until he gets to Milwaukee where he can bully them around. Yeah, I, I have, I will tell you honestly, I, I have, I have all sorts of reservations about this whole airline thing as, as well, um, because you, you can't just go around having people detained. Now, I, I don't know what the guy said to him, if anything. I don't know exactly what the contact was when they got on the ground in Milwaukee, but I, but I, but I, I agree with you. It's something that you certainly want to hear what the facts are because, you can't detain people without reasonable suspicion. You can't stop people from going places without probable cause to believe that there's a crime committed, if that's, in fact, what happened. There's all sorts of questions, but, I, you know, you can't – if you're a public official, whether you're the sheriff or whether you're a congressman or whether you're the president, you can't be too terribly thin-skinned, and you can't use law enforcement to stop people if they really haven't done anything wrong. I agree. I yeah. agree. No, thanks. I, so, thank I mean, I, no, I, I mean, so that I mean, I have some concerns about this airplane incident. But do I think that rises to the level of malfeasance or misconduct in office? No. Um, inevitably, it, my guess is it's probably going to lead to a claim against the county. And as a county taxpayer, I have an interest. But here's my bottom line on this. If if Christine Sinecki, if Chris Larson, if, if the other people um, who are trying to force Clark out. If they think he's really lost the will of the people, fine, you have a way to do that. You can run against him if he runs again in two years. If you want to do something sooner, try to organize a recall and see where that goes. I mean, that's otherwise just I I think just maybe it's time to kind of back down. Nine thirty-four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Lots of stuff going on. The Packers season is over. One game shy of the Super Bowl. I'm still. I I, I, I feel better. I was talking to some people last night. I do feel better that it was a blowout. I, that's that's the only consolation I'm taking is that the better team won. I mean, two years ago against Atlanta against Seattle where they're ahead the whole game and they choke it away, that, that killed me. The, the game, you know, last year when they can't get out of Arizona because, you know, they, they, can't, hold the, they can't hold the lead and then you have the, the collapse in overtime, that one killed me. At least the, the only thing you can say about the game in Atlanta is that the better team won, and it was clear from really the second quarter on that this result wasn't going to be good. But now the Packers at least know what they have to do. I mean, they, you under, understand the defense, if you want to compete for the Super Bowl— their defense is a dumpster fire. They're just, I, I, 
I, I they, they won, you know, they won 10 games in the regular season and two more in the playoffs and take nothing away from that. But if they want to seriously be contenders for the Super Bowl, the defense is a dumpster fire and they have to do something. Anyhow, continuing the promo, the Packers season is one game shy, of the, ends one game shy of the Super Bowl. Can it still be considered a success? Sure. Voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee, reflects on the season and the NFC title game loss to the Falcons when he joins Wisconsin's afternoon news at 3.20 today. I mean, of course it's a success. I mean, they, they came within one game of the Super Bowl, which, you know, they were playing. There's 32 teams in the NFL. You know, 28, their season had ended. So, I mean, yes, it, it is a disappointment. They have improvement. There is room for improvement. But, yeah, how can it be anything other than a success? And it was a great ride. All right. They are back. Our friends from the Freedom From Religion Foundation creating an issue. Now, let me back into this story. Uh, when I was in school, way back when, there were public schools there were classes that you that they taught um the class i remember particular in high school was a class called western civilization and in western civilization they taught you about different cultures and i can remember there was even a portion of the class uh, like a segment where in teaching different cultures, they would wrap religion into that because it's it's difficult to understand certain cultures without understanding the impact of of religion in there. And so, I mean, I can remember you know studying the Quran. I mean, it would just they you know where they taught the basic concepts and things like that. And it, but it, again, it was not designed in a fashion that said, okay, you, you now have to you know, believe in this particular way, but it, it was taught from the perspective here. We want you to understand you know, different cultures. And I, I think there was a segment on Judaism as well, but I definitely remember the Quran. But again, it's, it's all in the idea of educating you. Okay, West Virginia, uh, since 1939, West Virginia, Mercer County Schools, has had a class called the Bible in the schools. And in this class, what they do is is they teach the, the Bible. Um, it's apparently, they call it the Bible in schools. It's presently available as a course in 19 schools and is taught by six different teachers. The funds, not a dime of public money, goes into you know paying the teachers for what they do in this class all the funds are provided, um, again, by, by donors. So it is not funded by the taxpayers, but it is a course that you can take. And, you know, the school says, hey, we, we've been doing this. We think there's this 1963 Supreme Court decision that says that while you, you can't make people, you know, have a mandatory recitation of the Lord's Prayer or the Bible, um, you can have objective study of the Bible in public schools, just like you can have objective study of the Koran. You know, just, again, in the context of, you know, this is, we're, we're teaching about civilization, and so this is important to know. So they do have a course that offers Bible study. No taxpayer dollars go to use it, and it's very popular. It is also not a mandatory course. You can opt out of this if you want. So if you have a child who you don't want to be exposed to the Bible, you don't want your child exposed to the Bible, no, no problem. You, you can opt out of that, and you know they have alternative programming that, that your child can participate in. So your child doesn't have to get Bible cooties or whatever. And this is the way they have been doing it for years and years. Well, all right, lawsuit filed just the other day in U.S. District Court by our friends in Madison, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, who are going after this school district. The lawsuit is filed on behalf of an unnamed parent who is raising her child as an atheist. And the, even though the course is not mandatory, the argument is that what happens is most of the people, most of the kids choose to take the course. So even though the child who's being raised as an atheist gets to opt out of the course, um, she still is going to be ostracized because she's going to be one of the people in class not taking the class, so all her other classmates are going to know that she's an atheist, so they are going to ostracize her. So the argument is, here's the deal. The mom is put in the situation of having to either send her kid to the Bible study class or 
have her sit out the class and go to alternate programming, in which case other kids might mock her, ostracize her because she's not in the Bible class. So they're arguing this has to stop. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, what do you think about this? Is it inappropriate to teach a Bible study class in a public school system? Does this woman who's filing suit on behalf of her kid have a point that even though it's not mandatory, she has her kids sit out, there's a handful of other kids that sit out, and they're all going to be ostracized by all the other kids? Or is this just kind of this narrow-minded thing, there's nothing wrong with teaching the Bible, just like there's nothing wrong with teaching the Koran, just like there's nothing wrong with teaching the tenets of Judaism? All right. Does a Bible class belong in a public school, period? 414-799-1620 is the number. We discuss next. 941 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Nine forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. In the midst of a losing streak, the Bucks had a players-only meeting to air their grievances. What has led to, after that meeting hasn't resulted in any positive vibes. What's up with the Bucks? Greg Matzik opens the discussion tonight on Sports Central eight oh seven. Although a big win last night. Okay, here's the deal. For years and years and years, um, they have been teaching in these West Virginia schools a Bible study class. It's funded by. It's not funded by public dollars. Kids are not required to attend, but the Bible is taught in what they describe as an objective fashion. Freedom from Religion Foundation has now filed a lawsuit on behalf of a parent who says, even though my child isn't required to attend, if I choose not to have her attend, she then becomes ostracized by her classmates because they know she's not attending. I'm raising her as an atheist. Stop this. That's what the lawsuit says. Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, you're first. Good morning. Hi, I see no problem with the, the class. I mean, you know, as long as they're not proselytizing um, and parents are open and discuss things with the, their children, they're going to run into this all the time. Uh, my children were opted out of the sex ed classes because I thought they were too young and I wanted it presented my way. They were not ostracized. Of course, they heard the wrong information on the playground. <laughs> right. They all talk about it, but... I thought they were too little, and I wanted to approach it my way. Now, in high school, they took the classes, and we talked about it. So I think if you have an open communication with your child, it's no big deal. And in these Bible classes, these children should be being taught not to taunt other children of different beliefs anyhow. So Yeah, I and, and, and I will tell you, I'm not sure from the lawsuit that it's actually happened. It's more like the parent is saying, well, it could happen, or, you know, my daughter feels awkward because— 75% of her friends are, are taking these classes, and she's not, so I don't want her to have to feel awkward. Maybe the response would be, well, then just, you know, you can raise her as an atheist, but uh, is there anything wrong with exposing her to, you know, is there anything wrong with exposing her to the Bible? I mean, even if yeah. she chooses not to believe in it, yeah. Yeah, she has to toughen up. Um, she, they might not like the clothes she's wearing one day. What are they going to do? Um, thanks to call. Interesting parallel with sex ed. Um, Chuck in Milwaukee. Chuck, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, well, I'm I'm Catholic. I went to a Catholic grade school. And, of course, if you're going to be in a Catholic grade school, you're <laughs> going to be expected to, right. you know, do the Bible. Right. Um, I think in the public school part, that probably shouldn't be there because uh, a separate separation of church and state kind of thing. Um, you know, Would you, the one okay. good thing is at least they're giving them an out. You know, right. but. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, the, the, like I said, I mean, I can remember taking Western civilization courses where, as, as part of the study, you know, you, you were taught about the Koran because it helps you understand some of the, the other civilizations. Do you think that they shouldn't be able, do you think in classes like that you shouldn't be able to teach anything with regard to religion? Well, look how, like, even on, like, Facebook, people get in such debates about religion and stuff. I. You know, you, you're kind of opening a little can of worms, I think, yeah. if you're in grade school. High school, you know, I went to a public high school. We did touch on the Koran as part of right. history, um, but it wasn't really delved into really deeply. Right. It right. was, you know, it was grades along, so, but it sounds like this is a much deeper course. Yeah. No, no, it is. I mean, it, it does, folks. Now, thanks. I mean, see, I guess, see, you, you can view the Bible in a couple ways. You, you can, of course, view it as holy teachings or... Um, you know, there, there's literary and historic qualities as well that, that that are there. I guess, I mean, part of the thing is I don't understand, for example, 
I don't understand how you can teach world events in a public school. I don't understand how you can teach social studies. I don't understand how you can explain what's going on in the Middle East. I don't understand how you can have a conversation about terrorism without also talking about the, the religious overtones. How do you explain the, the, uh, the, the religious extremism? I mean, how do you, how do you teach the, the extremism? And I'm not talking about you know everybody who's Muslim, but I'm talking about those Muslim extremists. How do you explain that in a school setting without at least some reference to religion? I mean, does this mean that we can't teach that that we can't have any sort of you know dialogue about religion and is that what we really want now understand that you know if if the course is nothing but proselytizing that of course raises different issues Jarrell in Waukesha you're on 620 WTMJ good morning good morning um, I'm on the side of the um, at least from what I've heard so far the freedom of religion folks and um, that's never fine. a good place to be just so you know Jarrell that's never a good place to be <laughs> but okay I, I, I disagree but um Here's why, and it's because what you just said is you have what you learned about the Quran and Western civilization, or and I'm sure you've probably learned about the Torah and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit about the Bible. Um, you can learn about cultural, historical context of religion without doing. To me, that's not the same as a Bible study. When I think of Bible study as someone who used to be religious and no longer is, I think of you're reading the Bible. You're saying, "What does it say here in John?" this? What does it say in Mark this? What's it say in Luke? Um, what are we supposed to learn from this? That's different. That's, you know, you're going into and exploring um, a particular religion, and that's not the same as providing the cultural context of religion. Well, but even, even, if, even if you are correct, I guess, why, why is that inappropriate? Why would it be inappropriate in a public school setting to, to explore Okay, this is this is what these passages mean. This is what they're trying to say. Why, from an educational perspective, is that inappropriate? And here's why: because it's providing one religion an advantage over others. That same school is not providing a course where you can dive deep into the Quran and learn about the Quran. They're not providing a course where you can learn about Hinduism. Okay, if they had that. Okay, if they if they offered if they offered that course, if we had a separate but equal situation, would uh-huh. the issue go away in your mind? No, because at the end of the day, there's thousands of religions out there. Are you going to have a course on Scientology? Are you going to have a course on uh, Buddhism? Are you going to have a course on Taoism? Um, those things you can explore at places like universities where they offer hundreds of courses. But why does that and make it unconstitutional? What, what you're talking about now is just sort of a limitation. If, if you say, okay, let's take Scientology, if we want to call Scientology a religion. Okay, th- so yeah. they don't offer a course in Scientology because th- there's, nobody would take it. Um, or there's no interest in that that course, does that then mean it's unconstitutional to offer a course, if they offered a course in the Koran or they offered a course in the Bible? Just because there's no interest in something, you're going to teach the background, the cultural background of a couple religions, that means you think you have to teach everything that's out there? There's a difference between, I I just want to be clear on, on the language we're using, there's a difference between a cultural historical background, which is something you get in, like, modern or you know western civilization mm-hmm. world history classes that sort of thing and religious studies classes those are totally different things mm-hmm. and i think that if you're going to offer religious studies for one particular religion you need to offer it for at least you know maybe you know scientology is one we can leave off but you need to offer one for Hinduism. you need to offer one for islam you need to offer one for judaism you need to offer one for some of the um eastern religions and what you do when you don't do that is you set up a situation in which Certain kids are exposed to one religion. Um, but it's the their choice. choice. I mean, no, nobody's forcing them to go to that, that class. You can opt but out of the class. But, but that's not what the public schools are meant to do. They're, you're giving Christian Christianity an advantage when you teach Bible studies in public schools and you don't teach other religions. That's would you force... Exactly, okay, if, would you force... Exactly the, what so, I mean, what, what if nobody... What if no parent would sign up for that? What if they said, okay, we're going to teach a course in Hinduism, for the, for the sake of argument, and uh-huh. everybody opted out of that course? So, so I, I, you would agree with me, then, there's no sense in going ahead with that course if nobody wants to attend it, right? I think... I think the safest way to do it is just, just to not offer religious well, studies courses in high school. Well, I, and, and that's, I mean, Jarrell, and I, I mean, I get that. If that, that is certainly 
because I'm, I'm kind of coming back to the constitutionality of it. I, I, I understand what you're saying, and maybe that's when you use the phrase, and thanks to call it the safest type of thing. But to me, that doesn't make it unconstitutional. I mean, if the argument is, well, you, you have an obligation to, you should be offering other religions of the world as well. Oh, okay, fine, if, if there's a demand for it. But my guess is if they offered a course in Hinduism or they offered a course in Buddhism or they, whatever, nobody would sign up for that. So you get into the, that, that practical thing. And I guess to me it's either constitutional or it's not. Now, I agree that you have to, you have to be careful with the guidelines and you have to treat this in an objective fashion. But just like our first caller, Sue, who opted her kids out of sex ed because she thought it was inappropriate and it was too young, um, all right, the, the fact that her kids might have been quote-unquote ostracized, I guess, because they weren't going to sex ed while, while other kids were, that to me is not a justification for not teaching sex ed, just like I don't think this is a justification for doing it. Now, I do understand, again, you know, maybe it's safer to not do this, but they have been doing it since 1939, and it is now 2017, and this is, this is the first time you have a problem. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's Oscar time. Oh, I'm sorry. With Oscar nominations out this morning, are there any films that you think aren't deserving of the honor? Were these really the best films of the past year? React this afternoon during WTMJ Today. It is 135. In the category of can't we get along? Apparently not. This this is... Okay, CNN, of course, is at war with Donald Trump, who's actually at war with CNN and a lot of the other parts of the mainstream media. But you remember a while back when... Uh, now President Trump has his first news conference, and he gets into it with CNN about the fake news and all those things and refuses to answer the, the question. Well, the fallout has gone as far as the YMCA in Valparaiso, Indiana. Because apparently what happens is, you know, when, when you sit, they've they got a bunch of TVs, and the TVs, when you're on, like, the treadmills or whatever, the TVs are tuned to CNN. So after the Trump um, kerfuffle with, with CNN— Apparently, a bunch of people at the Y complain that CNN is on the TV screens, and they demand it be changed. So the folks at the Y, wanting to make their, their folks happy, they say, okay, we're going to change. So we're going to put on, on something different. Well, then, <laughs> as predictable as night following day, what happens is you've got a bunch of the anti-Trump folks, who the pro-CNN folks, who get upset that they've now taken CNN off. So they start complaining that you don't have CNN on these TVs, and... Uh, it's just the, the folks at the Y are kind of going, hey, you know, we're, we're just here to put up treadmills and stuff. You know, we did not get mean to get into the middle of the thing. I guess my solution would be CNN on the left, Fox News on the right. I assume they have a couple different TVs and I, I don't know, the Andy Griffith show in the middle or something and then just let people decide. So if you're wondering whether we're going to be able to get along moving forward, I am not seeing any indication of it. Coming up next, dealer's choice. Governor Walker takes fire for what some say is his war on the poor. Stick around, 959.